Hey everyone, this is Herman. Before we start, I'd just like to give a big shout out to our ever-present sponsor, the band Seven Kingdoms, who provide our outro and our intro, of course. Uh, they're one of the best power metal bands out there, and we really appreciate their support. Check them out on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find your music. They're worth it. So give them a listen. I'd also just like to apologize for something, listeners. This episode was supposed to be out last week, but because of audio trouble, I decided not to put it out. We still have the self-same audio trouble, uh, but I've managed to dumb it down a little. Hopefully it won't uh, destroy your listening pleasure completely. Uh, but I'm, I, I try to do a good job and, and you know reduce the noise level. It's only from my side, not from Billy's. Uh, so apologies for that. All right, with that out of the way, I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go, Into the Weird. Into the Weird, episode 33, The Fair and the Foul. Welcome to Into the Weird, a podcast celebrating the madness and magnificence of the mighty Marvel Bronze Age. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? Hey, Billy. I'm great. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm sitting here chilling uh, on Zen La, smoking a bowl with uh, Norin, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Rat. <laughs> Listening to this... Can I do some surfing? <laughs> yeah, why not? That's what I'm thinking, you know? Sitting here on the Zen Lion Beach. <laughs> what would you call it? Zenlanian Beach. <laughs> and uh, listening to the sweet tunes of Shalabal as she, you know, mm. dances and sings on uh, on the sandy shore. So what about you, mate? How's mm. it going? Oh, it's it's going good now that all the traffic is out of the way and me having, you know, road rage and wanting to choke people. It's all good. <laughs> you know, that explains all these Internet videos that that I keeps popping up on my Facebook feed of of, you know, people just going mad, you know, and, and on American uh, freeways and stuff. You know, you can really I've been in that situation. You've been in that situation. I can completely sympathize with those folks. It's hell, man. It's a jungle out there. 
So uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of hairless apes around, right? Really. <laughs> for, for sure, some might say I'm one of them. <laughs> That's it. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm getting there, man. I'm catching up with you. Uh, so soon we'll we'll be a couple of hairless apes together. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll both belong to the hair club for men. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I'm hoping there'll be some technology out there, you know, at that point in time, give us back our. Uh, uh, teenage mm. looks who knows <laughs> we'll mm, see maybe anyway mate uh, today we're gonna have a blast because we're discussing Ooh. one of uh you know the best bronze age properties when it comes to the world of whack and the world of quack <laughs> you want to put it <laughs> like that this uh-huh. is one of the strangest weirdest comics of all time from any publisher and uh, obviously written by the man uh, who's uh, known for the weirdest comics from the Bronze Age? Who be he, Mr. D? Uh, that would be Stephen Gerber. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Steve Gerber, we're back discussing him. We love the guy. He's my second favorite comic book writer of, of all time. At, there was a time when he was uh, neck and neck with Mr. Moore for me, you know, Billy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, you know, if you look at output, volume, and consistency, I think Moore has it a little bit on, on Mr. Gerber. Um, uh, Steve was also known for not meeting deadlines. You know, you couldn't give a crap about deadlines, whereas Alan Moore, <laughs> you know, he loved writing so much, just churned stuff out. Deadlines were never a problem for him. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, that doesn't matter because, you know, I read Steve Gerber mostly after, you know, he already did uh, much of his seminal work, right, in the 70s. So I was, you know, just picking up Gerber stuff left and right. It didn't feel to me like I was waiting for the stuff to come out. And, yeah. uh, you know, the guy's great, obviously, fantastic writer. But what about you, Mr. B? Like, how did you first happen upon this particular property of Gerber's, this Marvel property called Howard the Duck, which we're talking about today? Well, for me, it was definitely... Um... Because of my love for Gene Colan, I was, uh, you know, at some point early on in my reading, buying uh, career, I definitely sought out anything I could find that had Gene Colan's artwork. So whether it was something I loved, didn't know anything about, you know, looked, you know, like something I couldn't care less about, it didn't matter if it had Gene's name on it, I was buying it. So, you know, there was a couple of back issues of... uh, This title, and these may have been one or two of the first ones I ever bought that we're going to be talking about today. And I saw Gene Colan. I'm like, yep, I'm getting these. So that that sold me right then and there. And then, of course, you know, uh, finding out then that Gerber wrote these as well. I was like, oh, okay. so now I got to buy even more of them just because it's Steve and it's uh, Gene Colan. But, you know, you and I talked off mic. When I was younger, I was definitely not the biggest Howard fan because a lot of what Gerber was uh, poking fun at parodying and things like that. I had no clue what he was going at here. So, uh, I had to get a little bit older and, uh, the internet <laughs> had to help me out a little bit to, uh, figure out some of the, uh, the parodies and, uh, things he was getting at here. So, uh, I have grown to appreciate Howard a lot more now than I did, you know, maybe 25 years ago or so. Yeah. I don't know if you actually call it a kid's comic. You know what I mean, Billy? I mean... Oh, no. No way. Huh. I don't think so. I mean, I, I got into it at the right time. I, my, my very first, you know, uh, comic featuring Howard was the Treasury Edition, right? I think it's Treasury mm. Edition number 12, right, of Howard, featuring yeah. much of his earlier appearances and Fear and, uh, you know, Man-Thing. Um, and some of his earlier issues, you know, when he got his own title. But um, 
I think that uh, there was a, the reason why I loved him is in that uh, I'm trying to recall now. It's it's stacked, uh, you know, obviously in some of my long boxes. I should pull that out again. But um, Howard was, uh, you know, there was a story in there. Um, I'm trying to recall now, which was not part of the old Howard issues. You know, normally the Treasury editions had the, you know, the previous appearances of a character. But I think uh, the Howard the Duck uh, Treasury edition included one uh, story that was written just for the Treasury. You know, and mm-hmm. it and it featured these five villains. <laughs> they were so ridiculous, and it was clearly <laughs> a parody. But it was also action packed and and well written. You know, um, you had this this black hole guy, <laughs> and you had this this <laughs> uh, heavy set Valkyrie lady Tilly the Hun. <laughs> you, had, <laughs> um, you had like this ex CIA, um, you know, um, Native American assassin. You had a mm-hmm. guy called the Spanker. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, so you could clearly see it was a parody. But at yeah. the same time, it was also a heck of a lot of fun. And if I'm not mistaken, it was drawn by John Buscema, I think. Again, you know, oh, he'd boy. done Howard, I think, uh, what was it, Howard the Duck issue three as well. Um, and you yeah. won't, you know, think that Buscema could handle a duck, a talking, you know, animal, funny animal kind of comic. But he, he obviously the guy's a master. He could easily handle it, you know. And then mm-hmm. right after that, uh, there's also this Defenders issue. Where Howard, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meets up with the Defenders, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's just, it's amazing, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it might not be uh, Bushema, if I uh, John, it might be his brother Sal, too. And then, Could be. Yeah. And then there's, uh, obviously, the old appearances, uh, you know, the, uh, I think, issue eight is in there, you know, where he's already, uh, it's following on uh, the two issues we're going to be discussing today, listeners, which is six and seven, right, Billy? Issue eight mm-hmm. is where he's now running for president. There's, uh, <laughs> I think there's an assassination attempt or something, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, just, you know, I was like, what is this? What? But, you know, I knew a, a little bit about politics at that point in time, you know, because the American politics of the 70s were much televised uh, internationally oh as well, yep. you know. So I, <laughs> so I knew about that, and it was very political, but it was also clearly meant to be a, a lampoon and a satire mm-hmm. of and social commentary as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I love that. And then, you, of course, you had a weird villain showing up, the, the beaver. You remember you and I talked about <laughs> the Howard's villain, the beaver? Uh, so that uh-huh. treasure edition, that's my point. It was packed with so much crazy stuff that, yeah. you know, you I couldn't not like it. And then, of course, most of the art by Colin, like you mentioned, I mean, Omega mm-hmm. the Unknown shows up. And, you know, at, the, at that mm. point in time, I was a huge Omega fan. Uh, that's yeah. that's how I got into Gerber, actually. My first Gerber was probably Defenders and Omega the Unknown at the same time. But mm. it was on Omega the Unknown that I noticed his name, you know, for the, mm-hmm. for the first time. So that's where... Uh, and, of course, a big Doctor Strange fan. Doctor Strange is featured prominently in that Treasury edition oh, yeah. with Howard. So, you know, um, that's why I loved him. Because I got that issue and that was packed with so much goodness that I just could not like the duck. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, my history with funny animal comics is, is, is strange. I like some of it. I like and then some I don't like. You know, uh, you and I talked just the other day when we were recording World on Fire uh, of my love for Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew, which Roy, Cho- uh, Roy, Roy mm-hmm. Thomas, you know, wrote for a bit. And um, 
you know, that's just a, a rare example of Funny Animal Comics doing it for me. But, and Howard's yeah. similar to that. You know, I Howard's one of the rare examples. I'm not much of a, a Disney comic book reader, you know, uh, stuff. But I love Carl Barks. Uh, Don Rosa, too. I, I just, um, I think it's because I couldn't get my hands on them when when I was a kid that I just didn't get into them. You know what I mean, Billy? So, but yeah. Howard, man, that he's he's a funny animal in a trapped in a comic that's not for funny animals, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> um, he's something completely unique, and uh, yeah, that's my history with Howard. The Treasury Edition, and then I, I was lucky enough to get some of the issues to fill up. I, th- I think at least the first twenty issues, I managed to snag them off of the spinner racks uh, hapha- haphazardly, I should say, not all in, mm-hmm. in order. Uh, when I was a kid, but then after that, it became a little bit more, you know, uh, difficult to to get my hands on stuff, you know, especially the the his first appearance of Fear. I, it took me ages to get to that, and his his early appearances in Man Thing. You know, oh yeah, forget it. I can't even touch that comic now. It's just so freaking expensive. It pisses me off. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And then oh. I you know, I don't know. I wanted to ask you about before we get into the comics. How how. What did you did you ever watch the movie Howard the Duck? <laughs> yeah, I mean honestly, that's probably the first time I ever heard of the character, and I don't ah. even know because I was in the mid '80s, yeah. and I hadn't read any Marvel comic books at that point, so I probably had no clue that was a comic book character. I was like, "What is this insane movie?" But you know, I was only when did that come out? 1986. Yeah, 86, yeah, I think it? I think 86. Yeah, so I would have been 11. So you know, I, I think I was old enough that. I was like, you know, a, a crazy movie about a duck. And I was like, yeah, I'm good with this. But I was like, oh, wait a minute. Leah Thompson's in it. I'm like, hmm. Like <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>, sold. <laughs> mm, yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I um, I watched it. I um, did not hate it, you know, but I also did not like it much. And I didn't associate it with the comic because he looks so different in the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I was a kid at the time watching it, I didn't really associate it with Howard. I, I kind of it was kind of like the Captain America movie or the Doctor Strange movie for me. Okay, the Captain yeah. America movie came later, the, the one that I watched. But you know, the Doctor Strange movie <laughs> was in the seventies. Oh boy! I watched yeah. it one night on late night television. That wasn't Doctor Strange, you know, for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't have the technology yet to even do that semi amount of justice to that character. They just they just didn't. There's just no way you can do practical effects with that character. It's yeah, impossible. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we both feel the same about that. But, um, you know, I loved, uh, you know, the character so much that I it didn't bother me. You know, I could disassociate myself from, from attempts to to put him in film or, you know, mm-hmm. because um, I, when I was a kid, I wasn't much of a stickler for, for that. Now I am, you know, now if they put a character in a, in a movie that's not <laughs> true to the original, you and I, you know, Billy, you know what we're like. We get like upset. <laughs> So maybe the listeners don't realize how much muster Benedict Cumberbatch had to pass for me to accept him as Doctor Strange. <laughs> he did a damn yeah. good job, but well, he was uh, great. he's great. But you know, um, mm-hmm. it, 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 I, I set a high bar for the guy, uh, at least in my own mind, and he he passed. Yeah. So, um, but you know, my point is now I'm upset if they mischaracterize Thor or some of my favorite characters, or you know, uh, uh, make fun of them. But back when I was a kid, I didn't care. I, I could completely um, keep comic books separate from, from, from anything. Maybe not so much from the cartoons, right, Billy? But um, yeah. 
I mean, a lot of people might not know this, but I was one of the few people who did not like the X-Men animated series, for instance, when it came out. Because, you know, I only got into it later and then saw, okay, this is this is pretty good. When it started to, to, to deal with issues that I had not read, you know, um... Uh, right and so but but i did not like the fact that this team was not the team that i was familiar with <laughs> you know in the x-men but <laughs> yeah. um, later on they sold me but still you know i i kind of when i was a kid i i i just put put it completely separate from from any property they were trying to adapt um yeah. so howard the movie didn't bother me you know it was fine Mm-hmm. But um, he was a famous character, I believe, because he got a lot of press, and because I think Howard the Duck, the first issue, you know, of his regular series, penned by Brunner, you know, one of our favorite artists of all time, Frank mm-hmm. Brunner. Oh. That issue oh was the first Marvel comic that went back to a second printing, back to print, while the first issue was still, you know, on sale. You know, so they saw mm-hmm. that these, the, it was selling great guns, and they immediately thought, okay, we better get on this, and they. They ordered a second printing yeah. uh, before the first printing was, was even sold out. And, and, of course, the second printing sold out as well. And then, you know, that led to Frank Brunner, who had already by then penciled uh, issue two, right? He'd already done that. It led to him asking Wolfman, Marv Wolfman and Len Wein, who were the editors at the time in Marvel, the, the two co-editors. He asked them for a little bit of a, a bump in his page rate, you know, a little bit of a, a raise, but they didn't give it to him. So because of that, he decided, you know, he was going to quit the title. Not not because, you know, it was he was angry at them. It was just because if he took, you know, for instance, uh, projects from the black and white Marvel magazines at the time. I mean, everybody was freelance back then, right? Then he would be right. able to make more money, you know? So mm-hmm. it, was, it was just a financial decision he made. It wasn't because of ire, of, of being upset, but, you know, he... He asked him for a race. They wouldn't give it to him. So he just decided to do other projects instead, which would give him the money he, at that point in time, needed. So, right. you know, um, uh, Frank Brunner was off the title, but then John Buscema filled in on issue three. And then we got Colin. And mm. Gene Colin was asso- probably the artist most associated with Howard the Duck. And now, right, Billy, we've got, um, uh, you know, Steve Lealoha, one of our favorite favorites, inking Colin, and he does a damn fine job. Would you agree? We'll be back after a quick break. It's time to take a ride down the audiobook trail. I am John McLean. Welcome to the podcast. I ended up discovering the world of audiobooks and thinking, you know what? I've found my spot. We'll do bloopers because I have thousands of them. I love a good story. And, you know, I have to admit, as far as vocations go, this one's pretty cool. This is the Audiobook Trail Podcast. We're going to drop a 30-minute episode every two weeks. Audiobooktrail.com Oh, absolutely. He does great. I mean, you, you know, the covers, you look at those, and those are cool. And then but in the interiors, it looks as good as any Gene Colan comic you would see with any other anchor. It's 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 top notch. Exactly, lots of detail. He keeps Colan's look. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, you can see he's a respectful anchor. What I mean by that is he, you know, he keeps the pencils of the the artist, um, you know, firmly on the page. He doesn't completely blanket them with his own style. I'm looking at mm-hmm. you, Ernie Chan. 
<laughs> but that, but that's not a complaint. That's not a complaint, right? Really, but you know, you got to get these heavy inkers. Lealoas, not like that. But you know, Billy, um, uh, the, uh, these two issues got got a bit of a, a horror flavor to it. If you and a kooky flavor, and also a horror flavor. <laughs> it's got a. What would you say? It's a parody of Frankenstein meets the Cookie Monster. No, no, no. It's Frankenstein meets the Gingerbread Man. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. He lampoons horror <laughs> because if you think about it, um, the first Howard the Duck issue lampooned or satirized, uh, you know, uh, barbarian comics, you know, like um, Sword and Sorcery, Conan is Conan, yeah. which was very popular at the time. But the horror, mm-hmm. you know, showed up in Howard issue two, where we had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, him fighting Bessie the Hell Cow. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> the cow bitten one of by my favorite. Oh. Yeah, one of my favorite characters. <laughs> All I'm going to say is ha 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 moo. <laughs> <laughs> and we did talk about the Hell Cow. When was that? We did talk about Hell Cow a bit because we talked about some of the original stories and some of the more. You talked about one of the more modern ones with Deadpool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just a. Uh, and an aside during a conversation, I think the Hell Cow Bessie uh, cropped up during one of our weird uh, villain episodes. You know, the I think so, know. yeah. But yep. as an honorable <laughs> mention, though, I should say, we didn't include her, I think, as a full on villain, even though no, she, no, she no. kind of is, but she, yeah, she does show up again, you know, like I say in Deadpool mm-hmm. much, much later. But <laughs> wow. you mean, And then in the first issue, he also fought, or, or in one of the Man Thing issues, I think it was, I can't recall, but there was a Garco. The man frog. The man frog. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's in one of the giant size, size man, man thing issues. issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was great. So also horror esque, you know. But um, uh-huh. just, uh, Gerber was very good at looking at what was popular and then you know putting it into Howard and then saying, "Look, this is what what I think of it. <laughs> this is just like mm-hmm. a little bit of satire, just just for fun. But also a lot of social mm-hmm. commentary in there, right, Billy? I mean, even yeah. in in the early Man Thing issues that Gerber penciled not featuring Howard you know he had a lot of social commentary cropping up and he would sometimes do that by picking a a, a character a villain and then changing the name you know to (laughs) to reflect you know what's happening we'll see that in one of these issues with the June Moon Yuck (laughs) the religious cult leader June Moon Yuck (laughs) mistaken later for duck Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then, of <laughs> course, we, we also have to mention, you know, Howard at this point in time. I mean, we could r- run through his origin a little bit. He started off as a throwaway character in Man-Thing or in Fear number 19, where he, mm-hmm. you know, um, appeared along with, um, you know, uh, the peanut butter barbarian, uh, <laughs> you know, who wanted to slay Jennifer Kale and um, grew from a jar of peanut butter. We still have to discuss that, Billy, because that issue is a, a gem on its own. But in that self-same mm-hmm. issue, Gerber introduced Howard the Duck because obviously this this conglomeration of realities happened. This axis was shifted, you know, in the in the universal constant, and then you know these characters from different uh, dimensions and realities met, and mm-hmm. Howard was one of them. But he was uh, just a throwaway character introduced by Gerber, just a, obviously a parody of Donald the Duck. But a wise talking little scrapper. Not that Donald <laughs> isn't a scrapper, but you know, this Howard's much different. He smokes cigars, <laughs> which Disney well, I mean, Disney probably would have done that in the sixties. Disney himself was a heavy smoker, right, Billy? But <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't think they would have allowed that being a kid friendly comic. Oh, or a kid friendly mm-hmm. show. But you know, Howard was was not like that. He was like a Ben Grimm, but you know, not uh, with a rocky exterior, with a feathered exterior. 
And, <laughs> you know, he uh, was then killed off by Gerber um, when Howard plummeted, uh, what, between worlds into limbo, right, Billy? But he was so popular in the letter columns and whatnot that Gerber brought him back. Yeah. You know, and then after that, his, his popularity just uh, snowballed. And he took off and then eventually from the pages of Man-Thing, he got his own series. Out of the pages of Man-Thing, I should say. And that's where we are now. We're now, well, during Howard and his girlfriend. Well, she's not really his girlfriend at the at the moment, but they definitely have a r romantic uh, connection mm -hmm. there, I believe. Beverly Switzler. Now, Beverly <laughs> Switzler is based upon Mary Screens, you know, which was mm -hmm. uh, Steve Gerber's then girlfriend, a writer and a creator in her own right who worked at Marvel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was one of those people, sadly, you know, helped out a lot and did some things and didn't always get credit. Like, I think there's even some stories of them having her, either they asked her to switch her name like a pseudonym or they just did it and, and made it a guy's name. And it's like, oh, come on, man, really? Like, Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, no. Unfortunately, there was a lot of that running around uh, in, in both Marvel and DC offices. You know, um, all, all the ladies yeah. at the time, all the creators could attest to that. You know, Ramona Fraden... Uh, you know, um, over at DC, they had problems with that. Uh, you know, um, I don't know if Marie Severin ever said anything about that in interviews, but I'm sure it must have cropped up sometime because comic, uh, the creation of comics was firmly a guy thing, right, Billy? At that point in time, yeah. and the the ladies were most often secretaries, or they were there to 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 deal with the editing and pasting and and cutting of the art and stuff like that. And then, of course. Uh, the talent shone through. The talent won through eventually, right? So, people like uh, mm -hmm. Ramona Freyden, she could, you know, uh, do her own thing, you know, eventually. But mm -hmm. um, still, not as uh, much as the, the the men, of course. But um, so, unfortunately, sexism is just part of the early comic book industry. Um, uh, but now yeah. things are are much better. You know, now things are looking up, and everybody can just uh, based off of their their talent and quality alone it doesn't you know it's not affected by their gender well i mean it might still be i've, I've still heard stories right billy all through the industry yeah. but it's a lot better that's my point than it used to be i think much more, better yeah more female absolutely. creators mm. but mm -hmm. but mary screens had a big impact on on gerber you know of course and his writing life and you know she inspired yeah. the character of bev and then also um you know i think she even came up with the name of of Beverly, but she Beverly she eventually um, Gerber changed the name to Switzler uh, because I think the the first if I'm not mistaken I read this somewhere uh, probably in a back issue magazine or something that uh, Mary Screens came up with Bev um, and then called her Swizzer or something and then <laughs> Gerber said <laughs> oh okay this reminds me of something so he puts it in there and then it was only after his death. That I think his brother recounted to Mary Screens that you know the name Switzler he came up with because it was associated with his old alma mater, the campus where he used to study. Um, mm. Let me get to this story. Maybe I can find it, you know, somewhere in my notes here. But it's interesting, right, Billy? That you know, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Gerber was you know a guy of uh, many many layers, <laughs> much like the the cake we'll see <laughs> later in issue seven. <laughs> he had at least seven layers to his thinking process. Yeah, so. he was a, a super smart guy that had, you know, a, a different way of writing comics and telling stories. And it's it's what set him apart. And like you said, it's like Howard the Duck. It's basically a humor comic, but it does have some, you know, situations to it. And 
sometimes, you know, he was trying to get a point across using this magazine and, and this mostly humor, but I never felt like he was, you know, uh, heavy handed about it. You know, yeah, sometimes maybe a little bit, but uh, he was a good enough writer that to me, even uh, Howard aside, man thing, any comic he wrote, I, I never felt that it was off putting no matter what I read that he did. He, I, I felt he still had the, the writing ability to, to make it uh, palatable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He always his, his writing always shone through. I think the, mm -hmm. the strength of his writing and, um, and of his ideas he was a very creative yeah. guy, very creative. But he mm -hmm. was much like Alan Moore, you know, he could play with an established property, but he could also, like, like let's say, for, for instance, the Defenders of Man thing, but he could also make it his own and put his own unique spin on it and, and change it for the better. And many of those traits that he introduced still lingers in those characters today. It's, it's like a mythology he created, but with Howard, it's completely his own creation. You know, so yeah. it's, it's him playing in his own sandbox or in his own pond, <laughs> <laughs> or wherever <laughs> fowl dwell and uh, <laughs> a farmyard barnyard who knows but um oh billy i got it here in my notes uh, now these notes were made ages ago when uh, we were still planning uh, you know uh, uh, talking about howard okay so mm -hmm. uh, originally uh, mary screens she came up with the character of bev and she called her uh, beverly uh, swizzle and then, you know, uh, Brunner, uh, Frank Brunner was there at the time when they discussed, they were like brainstorming something at a, at a, at a you know, eatery or at a bar or somewhere, along with, with Steve mm -hmm. Gerber. And then he recalls, this is actually from Frank Brunner, as he tells the story. And then, um, so they first decided on Bever Beverly Swizzle, based off of what Screens came up with. And then later, they ch um, uh, Gerber changed it to Switzler. And then his brother... Uh, much later told uh, Beverly that it was because of, um, you know, um, Missouri campus, the uh, Missouri Columbia campus where he, uh, Gerber used to study, Switzler Hall mm -hmm. building, the Switzler Hall building. So, you know, the, the reason he changed Swizzle to Switzler was simply because it was something to do with his past, you know, that he wanted to put into the comic. But it, w it wasn't for, yeah. for the benefit of the readers. It was purely for himself. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that Beverly came up or that Mary Screens came up with the name so close to something that he he associated with his past was sort of serendipity for for Gerber, you know, and um, he used it. So, you know, um, a lot of great, you know, Gerberisms that you, you'd find in comics. <laughs> and most of it is like these these little uh, these little inside tales that you only find out about later through the people who discuss the comics with him and so forth. So this is just one one example, and then of mm -hmm. course you know um, uh, we've got also got uh, Mary Screens uh, influencing the first issue that we're going to be discussing now, right, Billy? Which is issue six mm -hmm. because at the time she was writing some stuff for DC, and one of the things she was writing was House of Mystery and House of Secrets. You know, a couple of stories uh, in that in those anthology titles, and she was also doing the gothic romance DC comic called. Uh, what was it? The Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love. <laughs> Did you ever <laughs> hear about that one, Billy? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, because of that, you know, Steve was looking at some of her scripts and he got a kick out of it. He was like, whoa, this stuff is great. We got to parody this. And that's why they, you know, did issue six as a, a sort of gothic romance, but a parody of that. You know, so you've got elements of Jane Eyre in there. Of course, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, and uh, even mm -hmm. Withering Heights, <laughs> you know, so 
It, that that's why why you know they came up with this concept for this issue but you know where is this in howard's timeline billy this is them hitchhiking because they want to get to new york they've abandoned mm-hmm. cleveland where howard you know found himself <laughs> after you know uh exiting the what would you call it the nexus of all realities the limbo between realities and yeah. then uh, you know he had a couple of adventures in cleveland i met up with beverly and they hitchhiked to new york uh, but Howard's stubborn, <laughs> you know, so they get into a fight. <laughs> so that that's where we are when this issue starts. They're they're hitchhiking, mm-hmm. they're in the rain, yep. and we'll start off with your synopsis right after I give some, some details about this issue. <laughs> so, Billy, you ready mm-hmm. for that? Uh-huh. Okay, here we go. So this is Howard the Duck, uh, number six, cover dated November 1976, but first on sale on August 24th, 1976. 32-page count, mm-hmm. edited by Archie Goodwin. The cover is, of course, by Gene Colan. And the ink inker on the cover is Tom Palmer. But mm-hmm. the inker on the interiors is Steve Lealoha, uh, mm-hmm. whom we love. So, oh, yeah. of course, written by Gerber, penciled by Colan, and then lettered by John Constanza with colors by Glynis Ween. Mm-hmm. And, and you can find this in a variety of... Uh, of uh, ways you can find it in the essential Howard the Duck, the Howard the Duck omnibus, the recent Marvel collections, Howard the Duck Volume One, and of course the Howard the Duck Masterworks Volume One, which is out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you reading it in its original form, Billy? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever wish you could sip cocktails and discuss great books with your friends while hanging out in a rundown piano bar? Here on the Literary Guys podcast, that's what we do. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. Each month, we discuss books from two different views of modern masculinity. From both a gay... And a straight perspective. From To Kill a Mockingbird... To future governors in the jungle trying to kill a predator. We welcome everyone to join our conversation on the good and toxic of what literature and pop culture have to say about masculinity. So pour yourself a drink and join us now for Season 3. Literary Guys. That's G-U-I-S-E. LiteraryGuys.com. I see what you did there. Yeah, I have the only Howard I have is uh, probably about maybe fifteen or sixteen single issues. Okay, that's 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 all I got. Right, we'll we'll cover all of those on Into the Weird soon, listeners. Just you <laughs> wait and see. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and that's what got me on this kick here because I went back and listened to the archives, and on one of the very early episodes, it may have even been episode one with you and Grant, uh, you had said at some point. Uh, you were wanted to cover, you know, some Howard the Duck, and I thought, oh, we still have not done that. And mm, here we are, mm, you know, mm, mm. in the in the in the 30s, so we we got to do it. Yeah, there's a little bit of a story behind that, Billy, that I can recount to you quickly and to the mm-hmm. listeners before we get into the mm-hmm. the comic. At that point in time, mm-hmm. Grant and I we were listening a lot to uh, tighten up the defense, the fantastic podcast chronicling the defenders and the Teen Titans from the 70s and 80s. Um, mm-hmm. run by, you know, Hub and his brother, Corey. And, um, you know, we uh, were, were inspired to do Into the Weird from listening to those guys, you know, doing The Defenders. And, you know, we both mm-hmm. loved Doctor Strange, Grant and I. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we did not want to, to copy those guys. We decided we were going to do a Doctor Strange in the Bronze Age and all other kinds of Bronze Age wackiness. But we weren't going to do what they were covering. And they were covering at the time only The Defenders. But then Hub, I think on his Patreon... He started a Howard the Duck, 
podcast, you know, and it was called mm. something like um, What the Duck, <laughs> you know, What the <laughs> Duck, a Howard the Duck podcast with his wife. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we listened to that. Grant and I supported that. We still, I still support that. It's, it's, it's a fantastic show. I mean, um, I, I mean, I still support Hub on Patreon. I mean, but, um, you know, at that time, the Howard the Duck show came out. And so that's why we tabled Howard the Duck for a while. We weren't going to mm -hmm. discuss it while it's so fresh, you know, on the podcast feeds of so many people. Um, right. Because we didn't want to copy them. But now, you know, the, enough time has passed. And, uh, you know, Howard mm -hmm. the Duck being one of the weirdest, strangest properties out there, we're going to have to talk oh, about yeah. it at some point in time. So I'm so glad you eventually, you know, you brought this up. And... Um, <laughs> That you 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 said let's do this. So I'm happy, man. Thanks, Billy. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> Howard's one of my yeah. favorites. Mm -hmm. So Billy, your synopsis for issue six. Let it roll. Okay, so uh, get ready for the secret house of forbidden cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our tale begins on a dark, stormy night on a mountain highway in rural Pennsylvania. How? Howard and Beverly are hitchhiking and nearly run down by a terrified driver. They have a brief spat, and Bev leaves Howard on the side of the road and begins to walk away into the night. She eventually finds a house and knocks on the door. A creepy-looking creepy kid answers the door and remarks that Bev must be the new governess. Back in the woods, Howard is awakened by some kids. As Howard speaks, they run away, frightened. Howard then follows them to a bus and asks Reverend June Moon Yuck, more on him later, <laughs> if he can hitch a ride. The Reverend thinks Howard is an emissary of Satan and <laughs> instructs the kids to gather around Howard. Just then, a real estate broker brandishing a pistol saves the day, or the duck. In truth, <laughs> in truth he mistook Howard for Reverend Yuck. Because, you know, yuck, duck. <laughs> Back at the creepy mansion, Beverly is starting to get an uneasy feeling about this place. And at that very moment, she notices torch and pitchfork wielding villagers outside heading their way with murderous intentions in their eyes. Mm, <laughs> All right, buddy. Nice. What do you think of this one? <laughs> nice. Oh, this is great, man. This is fantastic. You know, this is, of course, Gerber dealing with uh, everyday issues again that Howard struggled with, you know, stuff like getting a mm -hmm. job. And Beverly also struggled with that. So she that's why she immediately takes the job as governess to this Patsy Dragonsworth, <laughs> right? This little uh, reclusive mm -hmm. girl who lives in this dark mansion and she's hated by the local villagers. She's like a Dr. Frankenstein type, right, Billy? But, mm -hmm. um, you know, or, or Dracula type, you know, where the villagers are always out to pitchfork her. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got this crazy mother, which, you know, some gothic romances featured this, this, this mother. This is now where the Jane Eyre angle comes in. Jane Eyre was mm -hmm. this, you know, shut in. And, um, uh, oh, uh, what would you call it? Like a hysteric female sort of archetype, which is, is, is it's horrific. But of course, uh, you know, they play with it here and parody it. And then, you know, you have this reverend, uh, June Moon Yuck, who's, uh, <laughs> parody of cult leader, I think founder of the Unification Church, right, Billy? Reverend yep. Sun Myung Moon. <laughs> <laughs> and and as you might know, listeners who, who are clued into this uh, 70s uh, kind of cult, uh, you know, um, 
happenings. This Reverend uh, Moon, he, of course, the, his followers became known as the Moonies. Right, Billy? So, mm -hmm. so what are Reverend uh, June Moon Yuck's followers known as? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. All of a sudden, he, uh, he says to the... <laughs> He says to the uh, pistol-wielding real estate broker, he goes, what does he say to him? Hey, listen. He says, oh, hold on, let me find the actual panel here. Okay, let me also get to that. Yeah. He goes, he goes, <clears throat> well, actually, I'm sorry. It's before that guy gets there. He says to the kids, or he says to Howard, greetings, beast. I'm Reverend June Moon Yuck, servant of the Lord, and these are my disciples. My yuckies. Yeah. <laughs> Gather around me, my yuckies. <laughs> oh, this is hilarious. Oh, that's great. Well, oh, the way great. Colin yeah. draws him, too, is like a Fu Manchu-esque style villain, but but slick back hair, dressed in a business suit, but with this polka dot tie, <laughs> yellow polka dots on purple. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh -huh. And then, you know, yeah, we have uh, this hippie bus in the background when Howard first meets them. Right, Billy? Mm -hmm. But, you know, of, yep. of course, it starts off with Beverly and Howard having this uh, lover spat. Um, you know, Beverly's mm -hmm. had enough of him. You know, uh, his uh, stubbornness got them thrown out of a, a ride that they had, you know, to New York. Now they're stuck in the rain. And she, they, they kind of break up, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then Beverly, yeah, yeah. like you say, heads to this mansion while Howard takes a kip, uh, a bit of his a sleep in the bushes. Mm-hmm. And then that's mm -hmm. where he's found by these uh, religious nuts who, you know, these yuckies. <laughs> but this real estate uh -huh. broker, man, he shows up dressed. <laughs> I mean, he's probably Heathcliff, <laughs> right, from the, from Withering Heights, the character. I don't know. But he uh -huh. shows up on this horse. He's got a gun. He shoots the gun off in the air just to get attention, right? <laughs> and yeah, he almost thinks he's Paul Revere here or something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's even called Seven <laughs> Gables Realty Corp, right? Now, wasn't Seven Gables, you know, also featured, you know, in Wuthering Heights? Anyway, so he uh, is selling this decaying mansion, this Victorian mansion of pernicious repute. Uh, that's what is, what's on his business card, right? But he, like you say, he mistakes Howard for the Reverend Yuck, but he thinks, oh, this must be the Reverend Duck. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Howard's up for it, man. Even though they've got no money, he says, okay, let's have a look at this mansion of yours, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> he grabs Howard, and the real Reverend Yuck is incensed. He's like saying, wait, it's supposed to be me. I'm the one looking for a place for my cult. Me, Yuck, not Duck. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he, I'm the second coming. Oh. He's just a stupid duck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's his exact words. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. great. That's great, man. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, um, you know, Beverly in this mansion taking care of this weird child, this kid, uh, Patsy mm -hmm. Dragonsworth. And uh, she says, Beverly, you're not going to cut it as a governess. And, and she says, My cereal's too soggy. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, mm. you know have you ever done this kind of work before and Beverly says no I'm an artist's model <laughs> I was an artist's model <laughs> but you know then look at the villagers showing up Billy They're, this is like classic uh, you know gothic you know uh, era mm -hmm. or, or hammer movie you know esque vil uh, you know villagers showing up trying to burn down the mansion but they show up with a bulldozer and with no not a bulldozer like a, a wrecking, wrecking ball, ball. <laughs> And, yeah, then, and they're yelling, kill, wreck, raise, destroy, and eat. 
Yeah, exactly, man. Oh, it's it's My great. Gosh. It's Gerber like uh, marrying a couple of genres here. And then what does Patsy and her mother do? Or Patsy, she sets the dogs on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this mm-hmm. pack the of hounds. Yeah, the hounds. This pack of hounds. Um, and then the Heathcliff, obviously the 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 real estate agent. He comes shows up to drive them away with his gun and uh, you know Howard riding you know on on his back saddle there. And Howard falls off and he sees Bev in the mansion. And then, you know, the dogs, what do they do? They trample poor Howard. Yeah. Oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, um, Beverly shows up and she says, Howard, are you okay? And then Howard has this bit of a bit of a, 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 a philosophical, you know, musing. Should he, you know, or should he not, you know, like um, hook up with Bev again because a duck and a human, would it work? <laughs> and he's like, whatever. <laughs> when she says, you know, um, yeah, I could be persuaded or charmed to get back in your life, Howard. And then he just runs to her with open arms, right? Just like a little <laughs> happy little pet, like Donald running into <laughs> Daisy Duck's arms. And man, there's mm-hmm. this little cute panel, right, Billy, that Colin drew where <laughs> she Beverly squats and hugs him. <laughs> Do you see which one I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, man, this is mm-hmm. a good comic. And Howard then, thinks to himself, yeah. how could this be wrong or insane when it feels so good? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ducky, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I missed you. I always considered myself so self-sufficient, but, you know, she can't do without her duck. <laughs> that's her point. Mm-hmm. She's sobbing, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, it, it, here it, it's definitely, uh, this is the uh, line that epitomizes the entire a series. Howard says, yeah, I know how it goes. Love is strange and all that. <laughs> As we know, when it's in the hands of Gerber writing, it's very strange. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then they show up, they meet the mom, this crazy old bat, and then she mm. makes faces at Howard, right? Um, mm-hmm. Oh, this is weird. And then Heathcliff, uh, you know, looking all Victorian and regal there. The Reverend mm-hmm. Yuck catches up with them. And uh, he says, <laughs> when the well, first the girl Patsy, she tells him what she's been up to, right, Billy? She says, you know, <laughs> heck, I'm not making monsters like the villagers are thinking I'm doing. I'm just baking cookies. But then actually Reverend Yuck shows up and he says, ah, but they're godless cookies, aren't they, girl? <laughs> and it's true. Yeah, he says, that's why the Lord sent me to purchase this house and consecrate it as my seminary. <laughs> yeah exactly he's trying to you know do what christians have done throughout the ages and that's taking a pagan site and turning it into a christian site <laughs> this is what he's he doing wants to ex- yeah exor- exorcism he wants to do an exorcism of the evil forces you've quartered here <laughs> yeah exactly that's that's his plan here and then you know um uh, then they, you know, Patsy takes this as her cue to show them what she's been working on. Now, this Billy, mm-hmm. I don't know, Patsy's <laughs> definitely, I mean, she's, like Howard would say later on, I think it was in issue seven, slightly homicidal. <laughs> because mm-hmm. what are her intentions here? Reverend Yuck is showing up with his moonies to take this house from her. Heathcliff is more than willing to sell it to the Reverend. So now Patsy's having enough of this. She leads them to the basement to to show them her cookies, what she's been been baking <laughs> but actually, I mean, her intentions must be murderous, right, Billy? She wants <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to take care of this problem. She doesn't want to sell this house of hers. So, no. Billy, what do they find in the basement? 
yeah, they open this door to the basement and you can see something resembling the Frankenstein monster strapped down to a table and all these like devices like she's uh, making her own monster. So then the next thing you know, she starts uh, talking about firing it up and giving life to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, um, she she has this uh, I mean, she, for a scientist, she is she is like this 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 child prodigy, right? Mm-hmm. But for a scientist, she her vocabulary is remarkably, you know, um, homespun and and very pedestrian, right? She's just saying like, okay, uh-huh. I couldn't have done this. This stupid machine of mine wouldn't have worked without these two D batteries. <laughs> 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 and and she says, and my grandma who left me this house didn't inclu- even include them in her in her will. I had to buy them myself out of my pittance of an allowance. <laughs> so she's complaining <laughs> about stuff a kid would complain about. And then, mm-hmm. you know, she activates this machine. And then Howard's seeing, oh, man, this, this stuff's going to go south very quickly. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, oh, Patsy, yeah. wait, we believe you. Be a good girl. Don't. And then it's too late. Patsy says, Banzai. <laughs> she activates <laughs> this machine of hers. Now, who would put a Japanese war cry you know, from from World War Two era war cry in there, <laughs> but Gerber, you know, obviously someone like <laughs> Gerber would do this. This Frankenstein s girl activates this machine with a cry, and then the the mm-hmm. cookies are rising, right, Billy? Or the cookie, <laughs> the ginger? What what happens? Oh man! Oh yeah, he, he he starts to uh, move his hand, and everybody's like, uh oh, and it says it's gonna rise up angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it and then the cap yeah the caption at the bottom next the way the cookie crumbles which <clears throat> my great grandmother great grandmother on my mom's side used to say that all the time that's the way the cookie crumbles if something didn't go your way <laughs> yeah exactly man it's 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 crazy it's um you know um all these these uh little um you know metaphors and stuff that gerber plays with and these uh double entendres and you know these um, mm-hmm. inside jokes are great but you know basically what this story is if you if you break it down to its essential ingredients right Billy mm-hmm. is just Gerber saying that okay this is a parody of both the horror genre but also you know um, it's also showing people that you know um, children need to be feared <laughs> you know children i mean this, this is this also playing with a scary child trope like you know the omen you know stuff like yeah. like that um and uh that's a, a part of the horror that's a, a horror sub sub genre these days right but also back then you know you had rosemary's oh, yeah. baby in the late Big time yeah so and the exorcist the you know exorcist. i mean that was a crazy possessed kid yeah yeah, but he's also saying that what would a kid do if a kid was a horror villain? They would probably still be enamored with stuff that other kids like. Like every kid likes a cookie, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Gingerbread man, yeah. Gingerbread man. And then get, and then get ready your issue from the oven. Oh, it yeah. rises. That's, that's on, <laughs> what a good pun. On that's the top, a great pun, Yeah, man. it's great. I it love rises it. <laughs> from the oven. <laughs> oh, that's great. And that's exactly the title on the cover of issue seven as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it's going to be great. And then, uh, but they also tease at the end of issue six. They tease what's going to happen with Howard politically, oh. and they say the Manchurian Duck Part One coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great! Oh man, 
Love and, it. Yeah, and then what happens, right, Billy, is... Um, okay, we'll get into the, the, the details of this issue first, but, you know, mm. it's a two-parter, sort of, this this second issue of issue seven, right? He has two storylines. It, it, it Basically, I think Gerber sort of ran out of space to tell the story in mm-hmm. six, right? But, yep. you know, um, uh, the editor allowed it. And, um, of course, Archie Goodwin was known to be a nice guy, <laughs> so I'm sure other editors might not have gone for this. But basically, this story concludes in issue seven and then picks up right away with a totally different story, with a new tale um, d- about Howard's politic- budding political career. So mm-hmm. it's, it's weird to see a comic like that. That's my point, right? Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, Gerber wasn't only playing it fast and loose. I think he really wanted to tell the story and to, to wrap it up. And that's why we see the, the, the end of the story only happening in issue seven. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't mind because it's 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 crazy enough for me to like it to love it. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely, man. So we've got Howard the Duck number seven again, cover penciled by Colin and inked by Tom Palmer, Archie Goodwin on editing duties. Uh, it was cover dated December nineteen seventy six, but on sale September twenty eighth nineteen seventy six. And then you had, um, of course, the writer Gerber penciled by Colin inked by Steve Lealoa, lettered by James R. Novak. So the previous mm-hmm. one was lettered by Constanza. This is Novak. And then colored mm-hmm. by Marie Severin. Woohoo! So great colors there. She, she could do mm-hmm. all art duties uh, really well. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's where we are. Right, Billy? I'm going to give my synopsis. <laughs> Howard and Bev escape the house of sinister cookies after Howard eats the Frankenstein monster's well, the Frankenstein gingerbread monster's leg, <laughs> toppling him into some machinery that sets off a chain reaction, and the whole house ends up, you know, being destroyed in a massive explosion. Our intrepid duo continue their journey to New York by hitchhiking, and get picked up by country and western star Dreyfus Gulch, who is on his way to sing at an all-night national convention where the Republican and Democratic Party members meet. To choose their presidential candidates. Howard and Bev manage to wrangle jobs out of their association with Gulch at the convention. Bev becomes a hospitality girl and Howard a security duck. <laughs> After learning about a bomb plot via secret recipe letters delivered to their suite, Howard saves the day by pole vaulting the bomb into a giant seven layer cake, demolishing the <laughs> massive pastry but saving every politician's hide. The current candidate chickens out, and Howard the Hero is picked as the next candidate for this posi- for the position of POTUS. <laughs> <laughs> so Howard for president, right, Billy? Mm, here we go. Yeah, That's and that was right. a huge thing, too, and that was funny. Yeah, that was a huge thing. I mean, they even had Bernie mm-hmm. Wright. I mean, the, uh, Mary Screens and, and Steve Gerber set up this whole you know, office and, and merchandising division where they were planning out sitting on merchandise for the Howard the Duck presidential run. Uh, you know, they were sitting it, uh, setting it up as an actual run for president. They were going to, you know, have a fictional character run for president. And then, you know, Bernie Wrightson ended up drawing the buttons. You know, um, it, it, was a, it was a big deal. And, uh, of course, on mm-hmm. the cover of Foom, you know, it was advertised. But, you know, Marvel didn't do a lot of yeah. advertising for it. It was more Gerber and Screens uh, driving the bus. They were really lobbying to get more, you know, um, of it out there. But Marvel wasn't yeah. really, you know, helping out much. 
so but you know it was it, it wasn't all the papers at the time not in all the papers but in some of the papers at the time duck runs for president and um, <laughs> you know because folks were unhappy with with uh, the president at the time right billy <laughs> so mm-hmm. um and then you know this became probably one of the most famous storylines in howard's history where he became a politician and ran for for president so a uh, good on you know um uh gerber for you know he kept bringing the crazy uh but this was where he wanted to be because this could put him in a political you know dimension where he could satirize politicians which he loved to do and also you know uh have a lot of social commentary in there uh mm-hmm. with howard in that position so uh, things would get even wackier from here on out uh, or quackier <laughs> as we like to say oh yeah so billy what did you think of this uh, issue seven I like this one quite a bit. Um, it's it starts out like you said, like the first like four or five pages wrap up the <laughs> crazy cookie monster Frankenstein monster story, mm. which is h- hilarious and excellently you know drawn by Colin and Lealoha and covered and colored by Marie Severn. And that's not a knock oh. on. I think it was Glennis Ween in the first issue we talked yeah. about, but th- you can there's noticeably a, a different An improvement uh, yeah, in the colors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can see it. And yeah, Gerber, I mean, it's funny in that last page where they're wrapping up that other one. It's funny, you know, right away he has Howard and Beverly, you know, back and forth with some dialogue with the like nature versus nurture, uh, you know, argument, which is kind of funny when they're talking yeah. about the uh, the little girl. So that's kind of funny. I like that. And again, he doesn't like, you know, not beating you over the head with something, but, you know, it's something like back and forth between the two of them. It's not like a big deal that. You might just glaze right over, but it's you know something that obviously he had on his mind. Yeah, no, no, that's that's true. That's a good uh, that's that's good. You, you mentioned it. I almost glossed over that. This is Gerber with his. I mean Howard himself. If you look at the you know um, every the opening to every Howard the Duck uh, comic, you've got this brief little uh, introduction to every Marvel character that was popular at the time, right, Billy? And uh, Howard's was that. From the time of his hatching, he was different. A potentially brilliant scholar who dreaded the structured environment of school. He educated himself in the streets. <laughs> you know, so, and uh-huh. then he said he formulated his philosophy of self, you know, from what he learned from the world around him. So he's a, a sort of like a, a, a street philosopher, you know, and then Beverly mm-hmm. herself's no mean, you know, uh, she, she's a thinker as well, even though she's just an mm-hmm. artist model, starts off as just this. You, you think she was like um, empty up, up there, but she's actually quite insightful in most cases. And yeah. like you say, at the end, when everybody's been killed, right, after the house exposed, except for Howard and Beverly, you know, the, the crazy yeah, yeah. mom, the real estate agent Heathcliff, the Reverend Yuck, and then, of course, Patsy <laughs> Dragonsworth, the girl, uh, seemingly killed. And then, um, you know, Howard says, uh, personally, I'm convinced she was a 37-year-old midget. An escapee <laughs> from some penitentiary, penitentiary's death row, a hate-driven, bloodthirsty, antisocial deviant, a warped, callous, <laughs> calculating. And then you, you have this bit that you referenced with Beverly saying, nah, she was just a product of her environment. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, yeah, that's you great. know. <laughs> but I, I love, love it. I love the fact that Howard takes out the, the Frankenstein cookie by uh, chewing off its leg. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. Beverly says, she didn't, the, the, you know, Patsy didn't mean to hurt anyone with her experiments. 
And then Beverly says, no, nah, she, or, or, or Howard says, no, she did. You didn't taste that cookie. <laughs> yeah. And he's like grabbing his like throat like he's choking on it. Oh, man, that's cool. <laughs> and then, you know, another excellent Gerber character introduced. I don't know, what would you, who would you equate him to? Like a, a, a country and Western star uh, supporting the Republican Party. Uh, probably what, uh, what, what's that guy's name? I forgot his name. Oh, mm. damn. Anyway, I'm not sure. I'm thinking maybe is it maybe Glenn Campbell? He was big in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he could have. I mean, the, the Republicans could be. had these, you know, uh, singers and celebrities. They were touting as supporting the, 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 the Democratic Party, too. Um, and then uh, basically this guy, very interesting character, this Dreyfus Gulch. He is lecherous. You know, he picks them up, but he also like has a thing for Beverly. Right. That's the, the main reason. Oh, my reason. gosh. Yeah, he's trying to. He, what does he say at one point? You know, she's like, hey, you know, like, we're broke. We need jobs. We need an apartment. He's like, yeah, I'll uh, help you out there. I'll, I could make an, I don't usually do this, but I can make an exception for such an exceptional pair as you. But and he's looking at her boobs. Yeah, he's talking about her, her, her breast as a pair. <laughs> her yeah, boobs as a pair. And she's looking like, oh, no. She's like, great. Oh, <laughs> damn. Well, they get, they get what they need. They get jobs, right? But not the way they wanted to, unfortunately. This is Gerber again, you know, uh, putting some commentary in there, saying that, you know, this is the way that the yeah. ladies had to try to make, a, make, make inroads for themselves, unfortunately, you know. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. while they're talking uh, in the car, you know, and they're arriving in New York City, Howard glances up and he sees this poster advertising <laughs> Reverend June Moon Yuck's um, prayer meeting and <laughs> Korean karate <laughs> exhibition <laughs> next week. And then he says because of the explosion, they, they'll have to call off that double bonanza. <laughs> oh, yeah. And right before that. You got to love it. And again, this is 1976, and here we are in 2021. Not Still much has changed. Still the same. Howard, it's a law of nature. You can't change anybody's mind about politics or religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even in his duck world that he's from, you know, it's the same. So, yeah, he's saying it's, it's uh, an in interdimensional law as well. You know, so, oh, man, so, so, such great bits here by Gerber. And then you have... You know, they're mm -hmm. showing up at the convention. This is called the all-night convention. Well, the party is called the all-night party, right, Billy? The all-night party. Yeah, yeah, like the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, and the all-night party. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that Howard's going to be become a part of. And unwillingly, but, you know, he's, he's sort of uh, into it in the beginning. You know, he's, he's going to give it his best go. Because after all, they're just looking for jobs. They're just looking for a way to make a living here in Bev, right? Basically, mm -hmm. they're just going with the crazy flow of Bronze Age Marvel here, <laughs> the crazy flow of Gerber's <laughs> thoughts. And then, you know, they, they uh, this uh, Gulch does use his influence to get them jobs. He even gets them this luxury suite at the Plaza Hotel, right? And uh -huh. then, you know, um, oh, Billy, now I forget to mention, mention they were uh, going through Pennsylvania there. And that's where uh -huh. your neck of the woods, right? Yep. And now they're in New York. So this is exactly what we were talking about off mic when you said you were driving to New York sometime. <laughs> this is like mm -hmm. in that area. So mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. Howard's busy scrubbing himself in the tub. And then the first of, well, their, uh, their uh, clothes show up, right? Their outfits, because after all, now they're, they're working uh, at the convention. Mm -hmm. And then the, this is, there's this great bit of a comedy where this um, busboy he delivers mm -hmm. the package the packages containing their clothes. Howard's security suit and Beverly's hospitality girl 
uh, Playboy <laughs> bunny outfit. And then he asks for a tip, and then they don't have any money, so Beverly kisses his hand repeatedly. He says, oh, th- yeah, she-, she says, thank you. Mm, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then he goes... That's okay, lady. I've really, I'd, I'd have settled for two bits. See ya. <laughs> he takes <laughs> off. <laughs> I think he's, he's dealing with a mad woman here. And then, mm. yeah, Beverly's quite into it, though. She immediately puts on her outfit. Howard's still in the tub. And then they get mm-hmm. the first of these, what would you call them, ingredient, ingredients uh, letters, right? These recipe letters. Uh, the mix mm-hmm. is in the pan. Just thought you'd like to know a friend. You know, so they don't know what this means. But again, this is some kind of a, you know, a baking reference. Somehow Gerber mm. had this in at mind during in mind during these two issues. Bake baking was on mm-hmm. his mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, this maybe ref- yeah, maybe getting baked. Who knows? Oh, you know, yeah. hey, Billy, nice one. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought that, but that's more an Engelhart thing. You know, people like Kirby and Gerber. I I was surprised to learn that they never. They were, they were never into hard drugs <laughs> because their yeah. stuff is so crazy. I mean, you would have at least mm-hmm. thought Kirby and, and Gerber would have been, you know, partying with the Beatles at some point in time. But even though Kirby did party <laughs> with Paul McCartney, you know, when he was with Wings, you, mm-hmm. it, it, not really. But, you know, they were never into these, uh, you know, mind-expanding substances, which is strange. No. That mm-hmm. was more an Engelhart starlin thing, right? Brunner, yeah. Brunner, Brunner. definitely. <laughs> Brunner, definitely. But, you know, oh, yeah. This this is appropriate, though, because Gerber's stuff looks like it's written by a guy who's been seriously baked. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Howard then, they don't know what this means. So they head off to their jobs. Howard notices the lax security at this political convention. And mm-hmm. um, uh, the security guards, you know, uh, the, the head of security is getting busy with one of these hospitality girls. Oh wow, my Howard, gosh. Howard tell man, it's crazy. Howard stumbles mm-hmm. into a, a, a meeting discussing, you know, CIA operatives. And then he <laughs> solves the problem because he realizes that these po- politicians who are discussing the lives of these CIA operatives and what they should do with them, they don't know anything about intelligence. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so when they grab Howard and ask him, what does he think? He tells them, you know, I think you should first study up on on the topic that you're discussing here because do you know anything about this topic do you have any conception mm-hmm. of what it means to be a cia operative and they all say oh scratch their heads and say, oh, no actually we don't you know so that is the isn't that the crux of a lot of political problems right believe that the people who are put in charge are not people who are in the know who they're not experts in their fields in the fields that they're put in charge of you know no and a lot of these bozos, when they get into a place of power, instead of surrounding themselves with people that know better than they do about certain things, they just give jobs to all their cronies and their mm, buddies and their mm, rel- mm, relatives. Mm. <laughs> exactly. That's all they do. <laughs> exactly, man. Yeah. So, um, Howard, I mean, this was already a thing way back when in the 70s and even before. Mm. And Howard, oh, yeah. you know, Steve Gerber immediately identifies this and just. And the politicians then clap hands and say, yeah, bravo, a magnificent statement, revolutionary. Did anybody write it down? Every word. Why do you suppose he wears a duck suit? <laughs> That's what the one guy says. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is a thing in the early Howard comics. You know, People, people would either be disturbed that he's a talking duck or they would think, no, this can't be. He's a guy in a duck suit. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we had some cops frisking him in 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 when he was arrested during Garko the Frog, uh, the Garko the Frog issue, right, Billy, where they frisk him, and mm-hmm. the one cop's like, "Okay, now how do you take off the suit?" And he's like, "What suit?" And he's like, "Oh my God, it's a real duck, a naked duck," <laughs> and he runs out of there. Oh, it's great. And then they get another uh, recipe later, right? The ice cream's on the cake. <laughs> and uh, still don't know what it means, but Howard breaks up a fight between some politicians, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's these two guys running for, you know, the, the, the candidacy. And one of them's called Waldrop, and the other one's called Waldrap. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, oh, man, this is great. So um, mm-hmm. uh, they're having trouble, you know, the, the, the all-night party, they're having trouble selecting a candidate. So, you know, Howard <laughs> solves the problem for themselves. They say, just just flip, you know, the, the posters around. Keep flipping him until you get down to one vote. You know, gather up all your placards, keep flipping until one or the other has all the cards. You know, it's it's not too complex. Mm-hmm. It's just looking at the placards and saying that the the person the, the 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 candidate with the most placards that you're sporting these that you're waving around, he's obviously he should be the winner. <laughs> you know, it's democratic <laughs> to do mm-hmm. it like that. Uh, the majority wins, right? Majority vote wins. And mm-hmm. they didn't even realize that. You know, they were holding all the ballots in their hands all the time. These placards with the faces of the <laughs> candidates on and uh, so Howard's, you know, proving himself quite a problem solver, at least in the political realm. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, more, you know, hints at, at the bomb plot happens. This time on a mm-hmm. guest Blue Garter guest check that he receives when he goes out drinking. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, he wants to, he, he's starting to realize this is a bomb plot, right, Billy? So he warns the head of security. But yeah. the, this time the head of security's got three girls in his office. Three hospitality girls. <laughs> and and doesn't Beverly even complain about her? She's never had her butt pinched this much in her entire life. <laughs> yeah, he wants to sit down and talk about something. And she's like, can we go back to the room where I can lay down? Because, you know, there's been sleazy guys pinching her backside all oh, night man. long. She's like, I got to get off my, off my feet and lay down. I'm like, gross. Exactly, man. So... You know, this this is great. This is a great bit of Gerber. This is a bit of a mystery, right? Howard playing Agatha Christie or something here. Or or probably this, mm-hmm. this at this time Jessica Fletcher or, or Matlock or who would it be? <laughs> Columbo. And he's like, Wait a minute, yeah. all of these recipe letters we've been receiving, this is a recipe for baked Alaska. <laughs> right? <laughs> so he realizes, Oh my goodness. Okay, it must be the 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 guy sporting the Alaskan standard, right, or or what do you call mm-hmm. that, right? So um, he eventually makes it back to the convention just in time because this Alaskan standard's starting to smoke. The guy holding it, you know, is like a mm-hmm. suicide bomber, right? Mm-hmm. And Howard runs in there, and he grabs this this standard by the pole, and he vaults it. He vaults. He uses it to vault Shh. pole vaulting. And what does he do, Billy? It shoves it into the cake. <laughs> this this giant cake in the middle of this convention. Seven, seven layer cake muffles the blast. <laughs> Blam. But he says, hit the deck. <laughs> oh, this is great. And then, and then um, they're like, yeah, we, we want you, hero. You're going to be our man. I'm like, oh, no. We oh, want the duck. 
We want the Damn. duck. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah, because the candidate wall drop, right? He chickens out. He says, this is too much for me. I'm not even candidate yeah. yet and almost assassinated in a bomb plot. So mm-hmm. he chickens out. Uh, um, Howard gets the job. Howard the hero. And that's the start of Howard's political career, right, Billy? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. like, yeah, it was a big deal at the time, you know. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Mary yeah. Screens came up with the slogan, which was, Get Down America, right, for, for Howard's political mm-hmm. campaign. Steve uh, came up with the one, All Night Party Platform. And uh, they even rented some office space, you know, that's how far they went. And Bernie Wrightson drew up the poster, and like I mentioned earlier, the button, the merchandise that they were going to, you know, um, send out. And uh, the poster that writes and drew features Howard looking like Nixon with the Fantastic Four and, you know, Nick Fury sitting <laughs> on the sidelines there <laughs> and the crowd going wild. Yeah, he's also got mm-hmm. Uncle Sam's top hat. <laughs> it's a great one. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, of course, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, Howard would uh, then encounter adventures based in the political realm for a bit. But um, mm-hmm. fantastic two issues, Billy. I'm so glad you had them in your collection and that, you know, you picked these two for us to discuss. <laughs> yeah, it, man, they're great. <laughs> it was a blast, man. So um, uh, we're going to get into Mighty Marvel Mistips and Bronze Age Brilliance after this short break, listeners. Don't go away and we'll be right back. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. (gasps) Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. (laughs) There is Daddy-O. Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Yeah? Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Whoa! Dad, this looks awesome! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome. You definitely have that right, my good man. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mary. My pleasure, Billy. And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye. Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine, available. In dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere. Or at Amazon.com or ArchaicMedia.info. That is A-R-C-H-A-I-C-M-E-D-I-A dot info. <laughs> okay, Billy. Uh, we're back. Bronze mm-hmm. Age Brilliance time. Mighty Marvel Mistips. We'll start off, start off with the brilliant bits. What did you have uh, for Bronze Age Brilliance? Well, for me, it's definitely got to be Gerber's parodies. I mean, my gosh, the the crazy uh, reverend guy, Jun Moon Yuck. I thought that was hilarious. That was great. I really enjoyed that quite a bit. So I, that's to me that 
it is brilliant. I love that. <laughs> yeah, the same. I'm uh, I'm of the same mind as you. Uh, for me, it's the parodies of the genres, you know, that he's doing, which is in this case, um, if you think about a, a political thriller type movie, like let's say Day of the Jackal, or what was it called back in the 70s, Billy? Just the, the Jackal, or was it called Day of the, the Jackal? Jackal? That movie, right? I think... I think the original one was Day of the Jackal, mm, and then mm. the remake they did was just The Jackal. Mm, I think you're right there. But, you know, this was definitely also yeah. during this time, roughly. So, you know, these um, assassination plots, obviously, making it into to popular culture as, as entertainment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was what he was satirizing in issue seven. And, of course, then the horror genre, which we so much so love, the gothic horror genre mm -hmm. satirized in um, issue six. I love that, the genres that he mm -hmm. plays with and then, you know, parodies. So I'm going to go yeah. similar, roughly similar to yours. How about any missteps uh, on Gerber's part? Hardly any. Well, the, no, no, not really. The only thing that was a little off-putting was how we said about, you know, the, the story from issue six bled over into seven a little bit. So it yeah. was a little jarring. You know, jarring when you had to go from those first five or six pages then on to a diff completely different story i mean i would have in this day and age i mean i don't know what they would do but i wish they would have just you know gave them you know made that issue six be like you know put it on the cover oversized issue special oversized issue and added the four or five more pages to that issue and you know sold it for 35 cents instead of 30 or whatever they needed to do but other than that nothing man it's great love it yeah yeah i'm i'm the same i um don't have much i any i don't have any i should say um missteps i mean that didn't disturb me much at all i was just thinking oh this is another uh bit of uh gerber kookiness is uh playing with the form a little you know you'd expect the story to to take up the whole issue you know especially the culmination of of a big story and then the girl you know patsy dragonsworth who set up as this like i say type this antichrist like child this reagan you know, um, possessed by a Pazuzu yeah. or something. She just dies in an explosion. Everybody dies in an explosion within the first few pages of issue seven. And that's it. They go on <laughs> to the next adventure. So, you know, I didn't mind that at all. It's just Gerber being Gerber. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's it for Bronze Age Brilliance and Mighty Marvel Mistips, right? But not much to talk about. We love this these two issues. That's why we picked them. That's why mm -hmm. you picked them, I should yep. say. And, you know, I love yeah. all things Howard, so... Mm -hmm. um, that's it. But because of the short segment of ours, we'll head straight on into the next segment, which is Shop Talk. Um, now, Billy, for Shop Talk, I've prepared something related to the you know new Netflix show, Masters of the Universe. And mm -hmm. uh, you and I talked about that off mic. I'm just going to give my two cents on it and say that all of this craziness going on online with people either hating it or, or discussing, you know, this whole so, uh, social justice warrior thing and this uh, liberal agenda that they say the show is pushing. I'm saying that's a bunch of crap. It's a really great show. I don't know what all the fuss is about it. It's a, it's, it's a homage to the, the old Masters of the Universe cartoons and stories, mm -hmm. but also it's got something new injected into it, and that new is not nothing bad. It's not a get-off-my-lawn uh, thing at all. I, I think it's a fantastic... For fans of, of the old Masters of the Universe um, action figures and properties, like I know you you and I both are, um, this is a fantastic show and everybody should watch it and they should enjoy it. Uh, it starts off a little bit slow and then it gets really great. The final two episodes, fantastic. So get a, a binge it on Netflix if you can. Billy, you're going to have to find a way to get to it somehow. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm just going to say that I enjoyed the heck out of it. And it, that's just the latest thing that's been running through my Twitter feed. That's why I'm talking about it. Uh, Comic-wise, though, you know, Billy, I've been picking up some new comics again for a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, based off of some of our friends' recommendations, mostly Dr. Ange and Martin Gray and those guys. I've been reading Martin's blog again, you know, uh, Too Dangerous for a Girl, and gotten some great recommendations off there. And, uh, you know, um, my final bit for Shop Talk would be that I finally caved and I picked up uh, the Who's Who Omnibus, you know, that, that Martin recommended to us uh, a while back. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the Who's Who series and, of course, Rob Rob Kelly and Shag's podcast for the Fire and Water Network. But I also, you know, I have most of the issues. In fact, I even offered to ship some of my copies to you because I have a lot of the Who's Who issues as double, double copies, you know, because mm. I don't know how that happened. I, I know some of it was from my childhood and then... Some of the, the the issues were so damaged that I decided to to get some more. So I, I don't know how I got them, but it was uh, probably about twenty or so years ago that I rebought the entire series. You know what I mean? Mm. And then obviously I neglect, ne- neglected my older issues. You know because the newer ones that I bought were in better condition, and so right. some of those older issues were lost. But some of them were still in good good condition. I wanted to to send them over to you. I never got to it. Apologies for that, but. Um, why did I buy the omnibus if I have double dipped and now I'm triple dipping? It's it's just because it reads for for an omnibus. This reads really well. There's absolutely no gutter loss. You know when you crack open this heavy tome, it's like at least uh, what 1,200 pages. But you know it, the colors have all been it's been recolored, but but it's basically just been enhanced. The colors have been enhanced rather than completely changed. You know what I mean, Billy? And yeah. uh, they even kept some of the, the well, they didn't have a letters page in Who's Who. They just had this editor's introduction in each issue. But that offered up a lot of suggestions from readers and also uh, inside stories and, you know, origins behind the, the genesis of, of, of Who's Who as a series. And they kept all of that, everything, you know, it's wow. all in there. And then, you know, uh, a great printing, you know, you've got, you know, like some of my old, uh, the, 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 the print is already fading off of some of the text, right? But here they've mm-hmm. got everything crisp and clean and great looking. So I'm very happy with this purchase. It didn't set me back a lot either because I had some, you know, uh, a credit uh, on, uh, it was on Amazon that I bought it. And then, you know, um, if you if you add your debit card, you get like a $25 credit, you know. So uh, I used that at a time when the Omnibus was at a really low price. You know, sometimes they would price it higher and lower depending on, I don't know what how they do that. But, you know, it used to be 120 bucks, Then it went down to 106 bucks, And then, you know, I used my $25 credit on that. Then you get free shipping. So it was worth it. So I got it. And mm-hmm. I could recommend that to our listeners. The DC Who's Who Omnibus Volume 1. There's going to be a Volume 2. But this one, wow. I believe, includes all 26, uh, well, uh, all, all of the first series, right? And then it's got the update mm-hmm. as well from 87. Um, oh, wow. So it's a massive tome, but it's, it, like I say, it's easy to read. Uh, of course, you shouldn't put it on your lap too long because you'll, you, your legs will go to sleep. But um, I'm reading it on a nice little bit of a reading table these days if I do read an omnibus. 
So yeah, that's my my shop talk segment. A purchase I made, and uh, you know something I watched on Netflix, which everybody should watch and enjoy. <laughs> yeah, the uh, uh, animation looks fantastic oh. on uh, the the little bits and pieces I saw. I thought, wow, that looks really sharp. It is incredible. No, no, it's really good. Uh, fantastic animation, great character designs. Uh, obviously, they've they haven't really been redesigned. They've they they've just been tweaked a bit, you know. But they basically kept the design of every single character. Uh, Prince Adam, of course, when he's not He-Man, he looks a lot thinner. He doesn't look like like you remember the old He-Man looked exactly like he did when he was Prince Adam as he did when he was He-Man. But <laughs> yeah, he, he he didn't even have a pair of glasses to hide his identity for criminy's sakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the, that <laughs> stuff's been changed, but that I don't mind that at all. It's just, um, uh, like I say, it's it's a, a homage to the to the concept of the original He-Man, and um, I love it. It's it's, a, it's got a great story too, a vastly superior story to the old stories we got from you know the filmation episodes when we were kids. So you got to watch that, Billy. Somehow you make make a plan, and then uh, we can I'll talk just... about that. I'll have to steal somebody's uh, uh, Netflix information and we'll use it to log in. <laughs> no, I won't do that. Awesome. That's easy. <laughs> no, that's the way we're doing it over here. You know, I've got my, well, not stealing. It's just like, um, you know, I've added all my family members to Netflix by now. I think you can add like five people, right? Or what is it? I'm not even sure. I but I think so, yeah. Four or five at least, yeah. All my Taiwanese family members have been added here. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're watching the hell out of Netflix. But you know Netflix Asia, it's it's vastly different from from you guys. So I don't know. I would love to mm-hmm. use a VPN and try to watch you, your Netflix because it's got more. But um, you know I'm content with what we have at the moment. As long as it's got Masters of the Universe, <laughs> I'm happy. Yeah. The, by the time we did drop Netflix, I got to be honest, there were very few things on there I watched. But uh, they did have. Um... The Star Trek, the original series on there. So I loved oh, watching yeah, that. Yeah, that's still on. I, I watched like a last oh. weekend. Last, last weekend, I binged a couple of episodes of season two of the original series. Yeah. Mm, still got love that it. on there. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Awesome. So yeah, uh, that part's worth it. But uh, yeah, believe man, I don't know. I'm, I'm not advocating that you should resubscribe. I mean, you're happy with what you have at the moment. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes something will crop up. And then, like on Disney Plus, you know, which I also recently, mm-hmm. after Loki was done, I, I stopped subscribing to Disney Plus. And just, just because there's nothing else I want to watch on there, right? There's going to be a couple of shows, but I'm not really as jones, jonesing for them as much as I did for the Loki uh, series. So I thought I'd save some bucks for a couple of months and maybe unsubscribe. So, you know, um, there might be something again in the future that pulls you back to Netflix, just as it might pull me back to Disney Plus. I don't know, you know, but right now I'm saving a couple of bucks for some comics. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, when we get to the, you know, recommendations of Ragador, I'll talk more about the new comics I've been buying, you know, from the shop recently and so so forth. But Billy, mm-hmm. right now it's time for yet another break. We're going to insert a bit of a promo here of an awesome show that we hope all of our listeners will give a try. But after mm-hmm. that, we'll be back with the recommendations of Ragador. So don't go away, listeners. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. 
Richard, Richard Pryor? Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You don't know about me and him? Me and Superman? Greetings, human slime. Tis I, Dormammu. Coming at you from the dark dimension with an announcement. Into the weird officially sucks. I mean, one week, they're talking about a dread lord. The next, about a duck. I mean, how could you sheep listen to this drivel? Do the hosts honestly believe that people tuning in to listen to a story where the Lord of the Dark Dimension resurfaces to humiliate that fop, Stephen Strange, stands toe-to-toe with a story about a talking fowl with eminent lung cancer? How could you? Yes, you, the pathetic vermin that you are. Yes, even you, of questionable intelligence. Allow these two charlatans to keep frittering away your time like this. It baffles me. It's baffling. You hairless monkeys never cease to surprise me. If it wasn't for my promise to Ragador, I'd have shunned this ridiculous show long ago. As it is, I'm bound to fulfill my obligation, but That doesn't mean I won't speak my mind. So until Ragador overcomes his stage fright and administers these recommendations himself, I'll be here, keeping it real. Did you hear that, Billy D and Herm? You (laughs) a-holes. Alright, we're back with the recommendations of Ragador. Billy, what do you have for us this month, or should I say this week, or this <laughs> bi-monthly, the way we're doing it these days? What have you been reading? What do you want us to read? Okay, so listen, I, I didn't go back to listen to all our old episodes, but I don't think I recommended this before, but if I did, uh, pardon me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but it goes along with our discussion today. It's not Howard the Duck, but it's Steve Gerber and Gene Colan. It is a trade I bought uh, a couple of years ago called Superman Phantom Zone. You know ah, this one. I, I love it. You know, um, I think you did not recommend this one yet, but you 
I don't think I did. You talked about it online, and you know, wasn't it? Um, where was it? It was Ryan Daly who did an episode on his Fire and Water uh, presents, yes. right? With, yes, with yes. talking Gene Cullen. He discussed mm -hmm. this with, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Martin Gray and Dr. Ange, or it might probably, have just been Dr. Ange. There's some, it, probably because there's some Supergirl in here, so I definitely think it was Dr. Ange. But yeah, this is a crazy one. Like uh, Gerber, I didn't, I wasn't real in touch with what he did after he left Marvel um, in the around 1980. There, so uh, this came as a surprise to me because I didn't know he did really much of anything for DC and he didn't do a lot for DC, but this is really crazy. It was, you know, a four issue, uh, limited series. And then there was a, a kind of a, like a, not a recap, but I'm trying to think of what you'd call it there after this series is over, like a post, uh, hmm, like a, an issue where it was kind of like over, but you know, it kind of like encapsulated everything, uh, in, uh, DC comics presents as well. But, um, yeah, it's really awesome. Like, here, I'll give you a little uh, rundown on the back here. It says, Long the repository of Krypton's most incorrigible criminals, the Phantom Zone was left abandoned for countless years after the destruction of Superman's home planet. Now, however, the release of a single inmate from the Zone will trigger the greatest prison break the galaxy has ever seen and spell doom for everyone on Earth. So, yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, man, and, you know, it's Gene Colan. Uh, so mm. obviously that's the reason you know we we love it and we picked it up too. But it's Gerber, <laughs> so mm -hmm. you know it's in line with what we talked about today. And wow, is that mm -hmm. a great story? I've I've always loved it. You know, I had the original uh, issues as a kid, and then you know I also bought the trade. I still have those original issues, but you know I also bought the trade. I think I don't know when the trade came out, but I but I have it here. You know, in my shelf. 2013. 2013. 2013. Yeah, it was, it was yep. re reasonably recent, right? And mm -hmm. um, yeah, Billy, this is one of my favorites. I, I hardly recommend our listeners to check out Ryan Daly's Fire and Water Presents episode where he covers this because they go into detail here. But um, it's it's amazing. You know, it's a great story. Mm -hmm. uh, Gerber playing around with Superman, the Superman universe, but doing it really well. And uh, in a yeah. very original way, as uh, you know, too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, like you, you mm. even said in this episode earlier, Gerber was such a great writer. Yep, Howard the Duck created that, did his own thing there, but he could even take, you know, established characters and run with them and do really good things. And that's that's what this is kind of like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, good on uh, you for recommending, I believe. I'm pretty sure we haven't talked about them. I'm almost positive that you haven't, you, you, you've not recommended this one before. Um, mm -hmm. But I know that you and I have had discussions about this one before, you know, um, yeah, I think we DM back and forth on Twitter or maybe on the main feed. I'm not sure. But this is one of uh, those, uh, you know, uh, great covers, too, by the way, I should mention for mm. this series, some fantastic covers. Um, and there was great house ads. I remember at the time uh, in, in the other DC Comics uh, advertising this, you know, um, oh, yeah. I, I just needed to get my hands on it. And luckily I did as a kid and i was so happy to have you know found it and read it so um fantastic recommendation billy definitely one for the books um mm -hmm. and that was you know obviously after gerber jumped ship well he didn't uh completely go over to dc he went into animation a little bit you know um yeah you know did uh, thunder the barbarian of course but then he also you know um freelanced writing for dc you know and um you know, he, Gerber is always great. So I just think that, you know, if you compare him to other writers that I love, he didn't have a 
such a large output. You know, his volume of mm -hmm. writing wasn't. I I would have liked him to have more, but I think he also became disillusioned with the industry after a while. You know. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So I wish we had more Gerber out there, but sadly, you know, Steve, obviously, passed away. Right from what was it, pulmonary fibrosis? Yeah, a couple of years back, and uh, uh, we lost one of the greats. But um, yeah, after Gerber passed, there was a couple of other greats that died. Colin died, you know, oh, uh, yeah. Joe Kubert, and then you know, uh, Bernie Wrightson, and then Lynn Ween. Uh, there's lots of folks that that followed on after Gerber died. It seemed to that was the first time I noticed someone, you know, from the comic book industry that I loved that passed away. And then after that, it seemed to be a slew of creators. So yeah, yeah, it's sad. But it's just in my mind that it it sort of started with Gerber's <laughs> passing. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, unfortunate. But um, yeah, Billy, great recommendation, man. For me, um, I'm gonna recommend. Well, it's not really. Yeah, I, I should say I'm gonna recommend two books. I've you know, been trying out some new books these days. Um, first, I tried out Tom King's Supergirl, and uh, let me just say I was less than impressed with that. So um, I got that, yeah. uh, you know, from the, you know, uh, store that I frequent here in Taipei. And the guy, obviously, you know, uh, the owner also, you know, kind of pushed it on me. But I remember, you know, that uh, there was, you know, the, Dr. Ange and, like I say, Martin Gray, they were going to, you know, write, uh, do a write-up on it. So I thought I'd also chime in. Uh, but it was mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't a good issue, so you know I I immediately canceled my pre-order of issue two, and then um, I ended up picking up a, a first issue of a new mini series also by DC, which in this case is uh, harkening back to the old JLI Justice League International era from the late eighties and early nineties, and uh, this features two of the craziest DC characters <laughs> in comics and that is Booster Gold and Blue Beetle <laughs> you know mm -hmm. Billy and this is the, the new mini series by DC called Blue and Gold and it's written by Dan Jurgens and penciled by Ryan Sook and Ryan Sook's an amazing wow. artist yeah so this you know you're going to get yeah. some good stuff this is um, you know Jurgens um, you know paying homage to that great you know era of JMD Mateus and Keith Giffen and, um, you know, uh, them doing uh, the Justice League uh, along with Kevin Maguire on art. You know what I'm talking about, Billy. That was a, uh, uh, an era yeah. where uh, you had the Justice League and it seemed silly at first, but it, it was a really great read. And the characters that mm -hmm. stood out were, for me, Martian Manhunter and, you know, the deadpan Batman <laughs> as he was portrayed. And then, of course, Booster Gone and Blue Beetle. Now, I couldn't give a fig about Booster Gold before JLI, but I really like the guy. And then I've always been a Blue Beetle fan. I've always loved Ted Cord Blue Beetle. And this is them almost being the same in this new miniseries. It's, 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 it's Booster being back to his, uh, you know, fame and fortune act. He wants to be in the limelight. Uh, they're thwarting an alien invasion. Uh, Booster is, is in hot water. He's losing. And then he calls on his old buddy, Ted Cord. You know, um, well, actually, it's it's Skeets. You know, Booster's little flying, you know, oh, assistant. Yeah. <laughs> he calls on on Boo Beetle because he sees Booster's gonna need help, and uh, that's how they team up again, and they become the buddy team of Blue and Gold. Now, you know, Billy, I love buddy comics. Power Man and oh, Iron yeah. Fist uh, has always been one of my favorites, and and other buddy comics too. Um, and this is them literally ending up 
you know, uh, having to save the Justice League from these aliens. And the art is right. so cool. The action is off the wall. It's got some great character moments. It's got some funny bits, of course, because it's it's beetle and gold. And um, then it's got a sinister threat being introduced at the end. And the art is so amazing that, you know, you, you just have to buy the next issue, uh, which is titled Fear and Loathing in New York. <laughs> Not Las Vegas, but <laughs> Fear and Loathing in New York. So a fantastic uh, first uh, issue of this eight-issue miniseries, Blue and Gold, by DC. I can recommend that. Anyway, next up, Billy, is our Allies of Agamotto. We're going to take another short break, and we'll be back again. Wait a second. <sighs> Maybe you're just the kind of bizarro influence we need. Forget it. No more jobs here. Uh-uh, I think you'd be a great manager. I'm going to suggest it to the girls. I've given up trying to assimilate. Mm -hmm. I've got to get back to my own kind. Although... I have developed a greater appreciation for the female version of the human anatomy. Oh! Howard, you really are the worst. <laughs> Come on, let's watch David Letterman. Okie dokie. You know, I got a feeling my life's really gonna change since you fell into a ducky. Yeah, well, I'm glad somebody's happy. I could just get my career back on course. I'd only have the old standard worry left. What's that? Just can't seem to find the right man. Maybe it's not a man you should be looking for. Ah. Uh, you think I might find happiness in the animal kingdom, ducky? Like they say, Dal. Love's strange. We could always give it a try. Hmm. Okay. Let's go for it, Mr. Macho. What do you mean? Okay. It was a joke! Mm -hmm. <laughs> Listen. I'm pretty tired. It's just that you're so incredibly soft and cuddly. Bev, let's be realistic. I mean, my apartment's zillions of miles from here. You're three feet taller than I am. I just can't resist your intense animal magnetism. All right, this is our Allies of Agamotto segment, and we've got quite a few folks that we want to say thank you for, uh, folks that have been supporting us um, since the very beginning, and new supporters. First off, I'd like to mention Mr. Gary Arkell. Gary, thanks a lot for your support of the show of Dark Longbox as well over at my Longbox of Darkness podcast. Gary's a listener, um, and we've been uh, sending emails back and forth. He, he loved the show. He loved, uh, uh, you know, Misty Graves on the show, and unfortunately, Misty's now on a bit of a break, but, um, you know, we might be back in the future. Gary, uh, still, Gary's also a listener of Into the Weird, and, of course, uh, he's recently become a supporter on Patreon. That's right, at over at patreon.com forward slash into weird. Uh, Gary's been uh, subscribing to us, and he's uh, on the $10 tier. So, Gary, that will qualify you for a care package and also for your very own Bronze Age Alter Ego, which I'm working on. So, come the month of August, I'll be delivering three Bronze Age uh, spanking new, brand new, I should say, Bronze Age Alter Egos to our three newest supporters uh, over on Patreon. So thanks for that, Gary. 
And uh, look forward to an, an upcoming episode of The Long Box of Darkness where Gary's going to be a guest. And um, in the future, we might have him on Into the Weird as well. Who knows? Um, then, secondly, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Mr. Nigel Spink. Nigel gave us another great email in reply to the previous one. Uh, Nigel <laughs> stated in this newest email that he's so glad that someone also despises Thor Ragnarok, the movie, as much as, as, as he did. And that, of course, is my co-host, Billy. Billy despised Thor Ragnarok, and that's why Nigel Spink is letting us know. Uh, Nigel, of course, a.k.a. Rick Sheffield, I had to do a bit of research there, uh, Nigel, because, <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, that's your actual name. But as it turns out, <laughs> Nigel Spink is the moniker of a soccer star from the 70s, uh, an English footballer. Um, Billy should have caught that. He didn't. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think he's more in the know when it comes to the German teams. So, um uh, Nigel went on to say uh, that Recommendations of Ragador was a good one. Judge Dredd, The Apocalypse War. That's uh, uh, what I recommended during episode 32. He has that epic story, um, and he loved reading Judge Dredd in the Eagle comics from the 80s. Uh, the early stories are the best. He says he loved the Cursed Earth, the Judge Dredd mega epics as they're known, Judge Caligula, Judge Death, Robot Wars, and the Judge Child Quest. Um... There was one thing he had to disagree with me on, though, and that is that Carlos Esquera is Dredd's best artist. And Nigel says, no way. This is definitely going to have to be Brian Bolland. And, hey, Nigel, that's my second favorite you know, artist on Dread ever. Um, but I, I, so I can see, you know, they're very close, neck and neck for me, really, when it comes to all their output. But um, I'm just giving it to Carlos because I, I find his art so distinct. He's kind of like the, the British Jack Kirby for me. But uh, Brian Bolland is more like the British Neil Adams, <laughs> or or who would you compare him to? But yeah, uh, I agree with you there. He's a fantastic Dread artist, and uh, the way he drew Judge Death is... Uh, I don't think even Iscara could have drawn a better Judge Death. And then uh, he says he dug out his old copies just to, to read it again. And um, as for Dread himself, he to Spikes, Harvey Rotten, to Judge Anderson, and even Otto Sump. Those are all ca characters from, from Judge Dread. Uh, Bolland's characters look tops. Yeah, so um, he's maybe a better character artist, uh, except for the characters in Strontium Dog. Um, you know, because he's a very clean kind of artist. I don't think I like the way he draws mutants. Uh, I like Iscara's, you know, rough-looking art better for that. But I agree with you when it comes to these um, unique-looking characters uh, that uh, John Wagner comes up with, uh, you know, obviously in collaboration with Brian Bolland. Uh, Bolland's hard to beat. So, uh, fantastic feedback there. Thank you to our buddy Rick Sheffield, a.k.a. Nigel Spink. And then he says, by the way, thank you very much for bestowing upon me the title of Awesome Ally Vagamato. I, of course, any time. I mean, you've been an ally for a while there, uh, Nigel slash Rick. So, of course, we're going to keep uh, uh, you know throwing that title your way. And um, then, of course, he also mentioned what we discussed uh, Doctor Strange number six from volume two over there, Marvel premiere. Um, and he talked about uh, the artwork uh, by Gene Colan. Uh, it's a long time since he's read uh, the comics. He loved it, though. And uh, he does remember, though, that the mystery villain was none other than Dormammu. And then he shouted out our Mystic Jeopardy segment saying how much he loved it. Uh, he says, Billy is a tough question master. <laughs> But I managed to do quite well. Thank you, Nigel. I did try my best, but Billy stumped me on quite a few. Still, next time I'm going to aim for a higher score, definitely. 
<laughs> so that's uh, Rick Sheffield, everybody, aka Nigel Spink, with some feedback. And then, of course, uh, we've got a new um, uh, supporter. I would also go so far as to call them, or it in this case, but, but it's definitely a team of them. I would go so far as to call them uh, sponsors, unofficial sponsors of Into the Weird. And these are the folks over at Twisted Pulp Magazine. That's from, um, uh, I think, uh, a, a team of, of guys that I'm going to give a shout out to right now. Twisted Pulp Magazine, um, a man called Mark Slade, who's one of the editors over there, uh, contacted me and asked if we, uh, you know, uh, if we could send them an ad. And they've generously, um, you know, offered to play an ad of, or to show an ad of Into the Weird um, in one of their issues. And, um, you know, they've since, uh, you know, made me aware of how to to get these issues. And you can find them over at Archaic Media. Um, and that's, uh, you know, the archaicmedia.info uh, on the web. And all seven issues are available at the moment. There's an eighth issue coming out in August. Now, Twisted Pulp Magazine is a bit of everything, folks. It's weird fiction. I would characterize it as uh, similar to maybe Weird Tales, except it's, it's, it's more modernized, of course. Um, it has uh, a lot of uh, fictional horror stories, weird uh, stories. It's got some excellent uh, editorial pieces. It's got uh, featured artists. They talk comic books. They talk horror. They, they talk everything, basically. And they've got some fantastic, uh, you know, uh, illustrations in there and uh, lo a lot of comedy, um, you know. So I would say this is definitely in into the weirds wheelhouse and it should be into yours as well then, listeners, because after all, if you're weirdos like we are, this is your kind of bag. So check out Twisted Pulp Magazine. They're also on Amazon, where you could find the Kindle edition or you could order the physical copy. Kindle edition should set you back $3, which is very cheap for this kind of magazine. Well done, excellent content. You know, they spared no expense. And um, the people involved are all characters in their own right. You know, very funny, a great uh, bunch of guys and gals. And um, if you want, of, or of course, the, the Kindle, like I mentioned, edition would be $3. Uh, physical copy uh, should be $9. But you can also do that through Archaic Media. And you can also order the, or subscribe, and they can send it to you. So um, Screaming Eye Press, that's the publisher's name. And um, I found them on Archaic Media, but you can also find them on Amazon, which is uh, my go-to um, you know, uh, choice to purchase these kind of things. So uh, check out Mark Slade and his team at Twisted Pulp Magazine. Mark's also a writer of some of the stories in there. And uh, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of what you can expect in the first issue. There's a featured art artist called Lazan Lake, uh, Willy Wonka Part 1, which is by Rob Lowe. Not that Rob Lowe, apparently. Cartoons by Thomas Malafarina. And then a Pandana story by Dr. Hilary Chestnut, The Truth About Dubba Dadley, uh, and Rat and Miriam of Eons and Stars, Parts 1 and 2, Vampires of the West Coast, Chapter 1, The Camino Real. And then a post-apocalyptic Twisted Pulp interview with Donald J. Trump and Donald J. Trump by Dr. Mary Von Rocksprocket. <laughs> and then finally, Oyed Burns, The Stupid That Burned the Building to the Ground by Philip Lester Seymour Bangs Hoffman. <laughs> so this is a fantastic magazine. You got to check it out, folks. Um, I picked up all seven issues that are available, uh, generously provided by Mark, of course. Uh, but I've also subscribed. I want to support these guys. You should too, and I'm sure you will. So check out Twisted Pulp Magazine from Archaic Media by Screaming Eye Press. 
All right, and then uh, that's the promo I played earlier. You might have recognized that uh, earlier in the show. All right, and then um, that's it for our Allies of Agamotto segment. Um, we love you guys. That's how I'm going to end this segment. We, we love you. Thanks for all the support and for the great times ahead. Well, Billy, that's it for another episode of Into the Weird. I don't know what you're going to do now. Probably catch some Zs. But I'm off uh, off to work <laughs> since I'm recording this in the morning, <laughs> but it's evening over there for you. Mm-hmm. But we'll be back right in two weeks' time. And of course, um, if you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon. We're at mm-hmm. www.patreon.com forward slash into weird, where we're offering three additional shows, Dragons and Jive, and then House of Licensed Ideas, and of course, our Radio Free Hyboria. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll have three brand new episodes up come the beginning of uh, August. And that will be the, th- uh, mm-hmm. the third uh, episode for those three new shows, right, Billy? So there'll be a whopping mm-hmm. total of nine additional shows available there if you choose to subscribe or to support us, I should say, on Patreon. We would, you know, thanks to all our supporters that we already have over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on that because we're kicking around some ideas about some other things too. Maybe even something a little interactive for the people. Just you know, if anybody wants to do the the dollar, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. dollar a month, uh, we're we're kicking around something there. It might be something interactive with the show. So yeah, we're gonna keep an eye out. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we're gonna improve the current tiers. We're not gonna offer you know higher tiers. We're just gonna keep the tiers we have, but we're gonna keep adding to them. Mm-hmm. You know, to make them yep. more enticing and. And hopefully to to um, give you more bang for your buck to our subscribers, so to our supporters, I should keep calling them supporters. So thanks for that. And you know, if you want to reach us in any other way, you can send an email to sinkintotheweird at gmail or you can DM us on Twitter. Uh, the show is at intoweird. And Billy, uh, where are you at on Twitter? I am at Billy D underscore Licious. Yeah, and we're very open to, you know, show-related mm-hmm. uh, questions over there as well. And um, you mm-hmm. can also follow me at Dark Longbox. And, uh, Billy, you have the Magazines and Monsters uh, a website, uh, the blog that you publish. And then you also have the Magazines and Monsters show. You've been doing some great, you know, episodes with some fantastic co-hosts over there. Um, so mm-hmm. check that out, listeners. Magazines and Monsters, the podcast. And uh, with that, we're out of here, I believe. But we'll leave the listeners mm-hmm. with a bit of a message. You know, stay cool, stay weird, read some Steve Gerber, learn what weirdness truly means, and uh, internalize <laughs> it. Become the Gerb. And then you'll be, uh, you know, as appreciative of him and of Marvel Bronze Age weirdness as we are. You probably already are. <laughs> so we thank mm-hmm. you for that, listeners. And come on back in two <laughs> weeks' time as we weird out again. Um, But with that, Billy, it's bye from me. All right. Stay weird, everybody. 